This is The New Digital Customer, a podcast that brings you insightful and inspiring conversations with customer-focused leaders who are transforming and innovating customer experience. And now your hosts, the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman, and Chief Product Officer, Ben Straley. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. And this is Adam. Welcome. Uh, We have a really great show in store for you today. Uh, Looking forward to our discussion with our guest, Andrew Charles from Cowan. Uh, Andrew, uh, you, I think I'm going to get this right. Uh, You're an equity analyst um, at Cowan and you research uh, and report out and follow publicly traded companies, especially publicly traded restaurant companies. Is that a fair description? Yes. So Ben and Adam, thank you guys so much for having me today. And, and Adam, you're exactly right. I'm an equity research analyst at Cowan and Company. I'm a restaurant industry analyst. And so we follow the large publicly traded restaurant companies that are out there, such as Starbucks, Chipotle, McDonald's. And I've learned more about fast food than I ever thought was possible. <laughs> well, that's great. It's so great to have you. I know um, you and I met when uh, I was at Starbucks as chief digital officer and you'd come to the company, uh, along with other analysts, and talk to us, and and you and I have struck up um, a friendship, and um, you know I've even participated on your podcast, so I appreciate you reciprocating and participating on ours. So let me just drive right in. So first of all, Andrew, um, you know it's been a crazy last you know year and a half. Um, restaurant space has been. Uh, particularly interesting because of the pandemic, because of the digitization and, and, a, and a number of factors. Um, can you uh, can you do me a favor and kind of give us a sense of like just for starters, what do you think? Um, what do you think about the trends that you're seeing today? Like as we hit, you know, we're in May of 2021. Like what are the what are the trends that you're seeing? Uh, that you find most interesting or most compelling uh, in the restaurant space right now? Yeah, I mean, right now, the industry is undergoing a euphoria that you've got a combination of stimulus, you've got excess savings from 2020 that consumers are starting to deploy, you've got the release of cabin fevers with vaccines that are broadly available, and so dining room capacity restrictions are are starting to abate. And, And really, the the result is that it's just an absolute frenzy in the industry for sales. That's multitudes above uh, 2019 levels, um, and so right now it's been it's been pretty wild to be a restaurant industry analyst. The interesting part, though, about that, in my view, is that the off-premise sales are still holding, and that the digital gains that we saw throughout the pandemic for ordering for carryout and ordering for delivery are, are broadly holding. And I think that's been one of the more fascinating things. That really exemplifies the stickiness of digital ordering that that we've certainly been pleased to see. And so, if you're a restaurant that survived this past year, um, you know it's a pretty good outlook, I would say, for the next three to six months, just given the limited amount of competition that's out there from uh, all the independent closures, uh, combined with the fact that the consumer is pretty healthy right now. Yeah, you know, it's I, I've noticed that too. And of course, Ben and I, uh, we were thinking that that would be the case, but we didn't know, thinking that, you know, the digital rates or digitization rates would hold, that the genie was sort of out of the bottle. It is interesting to see that that's the case, even as in restaurant dining comes back. Do you, um, tell me why, you just made a comment, and I want to back up on it. You said, it's kind of great to see. So let's, let's back up a second. I want to pick apart why you say it's great to see, because 
you know, one of the things I love about having you on this show and talking to Ben and I is that you, you know, you have this lens of uh, analyze, literally analyzing what restaurant brands and operators are doing to drive their business forward and provide uh, shareholder value, which usually is reflected in the fact that their stock will go up if they're increasing shareholder value. So you come at it from this business ROI, shareholder value lens, because uh, that's your job. That's kind of what you'd expect from an equity analyst. Uh, but, but so parse that apart. When you said it's great to see that digitization rates are holding up, why did you use that word great? I'm just curious. First of all, if I knew you were going to use my words against me, I'd be more in territorial like I am around my spouse. So I appreciate, I appreciate that, uh, that as an intro. You know, the, the reason that I, that, I, that I really phrased it with that caveat is that um, when, when consumers were going and finding new channels for ordering, whether it's for delivery or whether through digital, because a lot of the businesses in the industry happened to order it, but this wasn't really uh, the strongest emphasis and that this was digital channels were kind of the ones that were emerging and we're still kind of early. And, and so the reason that I, I, I kind of said that I was surprised um, was really just around the fact of that there's this stickiness that's been, that's been there that I guess, you know, I, I wasn't fully expecting. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I guess it's the kind of the, 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 the question around did the pandemic accelerate the trend in place or was this just a temporary pause that we're going to go, quote unquote, back to normal afterwards? And so I, I kind of say it from the lens of that it seems somewhat inevitable that these digital gains be permanent, but I think there was a school of thought out there that this would be the substitute for a period of time rather than the way forward. Yeah, that, that just to build on that, Andrew, um, one of the things that um, your comment uh, sparked for me is, you know, if it's not a return back to normal, then what does the you know future of the restaurant industry look like? And how much of that on-premise dining that's coming back, like, is it going to come all the way back? Is the, is the uh, value that customers, consumers get from digital sort of a, a, a incremental on top of that? Like, it, could this be or might we be at the beginning of, of uh, a, a rate of growth that sort of exceeds what the expectations may have been even a couple of years ago because of this, this sort of shift to digital and the adoption of of digital? It's interesting. So we're going to be hosting on May 27th, you know, shameless plug, we'll be hosting a digital dining summit that I'm really excited that Adam's going to be uh, one of the presenters for. And this is something that I definitely want to delve more into because I think for the limited service models, I, I do think there's a permanency to the off-premise gains here that on-premise wasn't critical to the experience that, you know, you paid for your money, you paid for your order before you ate or drank it. So therefore it didn't really matter as much. The full service names, though, that's definitely more in the investor debate around what's going to happen on the other side of this from the from the on essentially the off premise gains made during the pandemic. How much can the businesses hold on to that? And, and I feel pretty comfortable saying that the off premise sales. I mean, we, we recently updated a stock Darden, and, and the whole premise is that they're holding on to some of these very strong sales gains they made from off premise. And, and I really think that's the opportunity that these full service concepts where. There's been more industry closures, so there's a little bit of easing of competition, combined with the fact that they've uh, historically always focused on the inside, in in store, on premise experience because they differentiate on hospitality. That's the ones that can see longer gains because if they're able to reclaim the on premise sales, which we're seeing in the industry, that typically when a store reopens after dining room capacity, either reopen is because it was shut down or dining room capacity restrictions are lifted. 
what you're typically seeing thereafter is just an absolute inflection in the amount of business coming in, a, a spring fever, if you will, of, wow, we can now go out again. And so therefore, the consumers flocking in droves to these restaurants with significant wait times. Um, you know, I think what you're going to see is that business return for these ones that have survived combined with the off-premise games that are holding. And, and um, what's really important there, I'd say, is more on the digital side for those orders because that's, that's the orders that they're higher ticket, uh, less labor needed because you just don't need someone to answer the phone and the orders can go right into the kitchen then uh, and more data rich as well. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but, but a lot of uh, the industry is waking up to the power of data analytics that you guys know very well. So that, so that, okay, yeah. So let's let's keep deconstructing this because I think this is a fun, fun line of discussion. So you're saying it's encouraging or great to see these digitization rates hold, and one of the reasons is because they, what you're, what you and Ben were just saying is that they, it, there's a good chance that there's incrementality in the digital, even as we come out of the pandemic. So they start to sort of you know, they bring back people into line that, that order there and or eat there, but they also get this sort of incremental revenue from the digital sale, perhaps, of delivery or uh, pickup for order ahead. And, and it might be slightly different for a fast casual or QSR than it is for a uh, more full service. By the way, full disclosure, I, I think you and the audience know this, but I'm, uh, besides being the CEO of Brightloom, I'm on the board of Mod Pizza, which is fast casual. I'm on the board of Ruby Tuesdays, which is casual dining. So um, I am not unbiased uh, in some of this discussion, but I'm still learning a lot. And I'd say back to what you were just saying, the, um, the, uh, there's this, there's this incre potential incrementality of, of revenue and sales and customer stickiness that comes from the digital as things come back in to, uh, to, to more normalcy. Do you um, how, how do you think about, when you think about the word digital, I'm going to unpack this further, how do you think about third-party marketplace transactions versus um, digital on their own platform, which, by the way, might be fulfilled or serviced by third-party? So let's distinguish a third-party transaction that happens that is not on your own platform versus one that is. Do you, how do you think about that as an, as an analyst? Yeah, it's a really good and important question because a lot of companies like to talk about this is my digital sales and use it as a point of pride. And, and I really think the most important thing there um, is how much of that customer base do you own? How much of that is first party, quote unquote? And so what, what's important here is I'm really talking about the customer ordering here, where, where the orders are ordered rather than fulfilled. Because I think third party, if I'm a restaurant operator, third party is a critical partner. But what's the most critical thing here is that you've got to own your own customer base because you get the negotiating power against third-party providers of all sorts, um, combined with the fact as well that you've got better enriched and more enriched uh, data as well for the collection. So um, when I think about digital orders, and, and really what's funny about this is that some restaurant companies disclose this strictly, this is digital. We, we don't, they, they're not going to give you what's, what's uh, carryout versus what's delivery. But I think it's a really important distinction because just to say this is digital, I, I think it could be a bit misleading around what's the true value of that customer. And so maybe a simpler analogy here is that for the digital orders for carryout or for the orders placed through a restaurant's app or website for delivery that are fulfilled through a third-party provider, that's like owning your customer. You know, maybe the most important distinction here is that if I'm a third-party, if I'm a customer and I'm going to um, a third-party platform 
to order the food for delivery, that's more of a rental, if you will. I mean, that's an important part of the business, but because you don't own that customer, you're not getting the full data collection from them. It's an important distinction because I think that that owned customer is so much more important um, rather than the overall digital co- digital mix that companies like to cite. And and given the importance of of that first party data and exa- and the dynamics that you're just describing, Andrew, I'm curious, like what are what are some really interesting or innovative things from your perspective that uh, either the restaurants, the businesses you cover, or just in general in the ecosystem. What, what are some interesting things that you're seeing that um, are really kind of focused on on that opportunity and and exploiting it, for lack of a better word, uh, by restaurants? Yeah, so th- there's a couple things. Um, I would say that we're we're definitely very interested. Uh, you know, ver- the rise of virtual brands over the last year. I mean, you look back and it seems somewhat inevitable, but from where we are today, I mean, it's just been unbelievable to see the rise and just how so many different concepts across the spectrum. You know, those that fared very well and those who were more challenged by the pandemic have all experimented with these, and that I, I think it's fair to say that these are these are here to stay. That you know, depending how congruent they are with the um, you know, with the environment, you know, with with the operations for restaurant, are, 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 are it will help determine how long they can stay in restaurants. But I do think virtual brands have been an important development, and we, we can also talk a bit more about ghost kitchens and AI ordering, as, yeah. AI voice ordering as well. But I think that's some interesting dynamics as well that we've seen uh, on the rise here, uh, exiting the pandemic. Yeah, and and just for our listeners who may not know what a virtual brand is, can you can you sort of talk a little bit about what what those are and why why they are emerging? Yeah. So what a virtual brand does is that it utilizes uh, excess labor and excess equipment inside of a restaurant's kitchen, typically full service, because during the pandemic, they obviously had the most um, real estate, for lack of a better word, the most availability of just labor and equipment inside the restaurant to really um, generate sales. And these these really are only available through the third-party marketplaces. You know, As we go into kind of act two and year two with these, you're seeing that they're getting their own apps, uh, their own websites for ordering to maximize the data collection. But, but you know, largely speaking, they're only available through third-party marketplaces on their on their website and app. By, by the way, that's that. Sorry, Ben, to jump in because I love this topic, and I, I'm so glad you brought it up, Andrew. Uh, in the sense of, like, what you just said is fascinating, right? You just said a virtual brand like Mr. Beast Burgers, right? Is a good one. I heard they're doing great, so they. There, it's this. I don't even know. I'm I'm going to show how out of it I am. But like, I think Mr. Beast is like a YouTube or a social media star. Doesn't have anything to do with food, I don't think. Although I don't know that. I don't really know. I should follow this better. But um, he he or the brand is like this big thing, and and um, he they've come up with a way to open up a restaurant, a virtual restaurant chain. This makes, makes them a virtual restaurant brand, right? And they, they're using capacity at a bunch of these different, these different places. And when you just said it's primarily through the third party marketplaces, but then they're coming up with their own, they're, they're, uh, the irony or the meta thing here is like a virtual brand is wrestling with the same thing that you just said a, a regular brand is, which is like, I wonder if I should own the customer, if I should own the data. Maybe I shouldn't do all my sales through just the third-party marketplaces. And so, and then they're being, but they have no, none of their own kitchens, so to speak. So they outsource 100%, right, I think, uh, or at least mostly, of their fulfillment. So that's fascinating what you just said. I mean, do you, how do you think about them? You said they're here to stay or they're interesting. And how, do you, how do you view them in the context of 
the rest of the companies that you follow from a publicly traded stock perspective? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. So you nailed it on Mr. Beast, and maybe I should have just given another example that you might have been more familiar with. Mariah Carey has a cookie line that's only available. So, Adam, I figured you would be more familiar with that relative yeah. to uh, Mr. Beast. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. Card-carrying fan club member. Yeah, yeah, I am, particularly. But the, the interesting thing is that they're both they're actually both facilitated by a parent company that kind of helps the licensing deals and the fulfillment deals. Right. But, but, but in any event, you're, you're right that Mariah Carey's cookies and Mr. Beast burgers, those are good examples. Yeah. So, so moving on besides Adam's, you know, musical interests, I, I would say that, you know, you, you pretty much nailed it though. I mean, the, the, the bigger guys out there. So, you know, a, a Brinker, for instance, that was kind of the pioneer with this, that's the parent company of Chili's and Maggiano's that, that they internally developed and launched. It's just wings. And that was kind of the first one that emerged in June of last year. So we're about to pass the one year anniversary on that, but you've seen, um, not only just internally developed, but there's other brands out there that are licensed that are that are basically licensed and essentially um, now restaurant operators can essentially become franchisees where they're going to pay a license to use these brands and the brands are really you know software generally software companies that that uh, are fueled by data and data analytics around this is what customers want um, this is what this is what your restaurant is capable of producing and obviously has some voids on the menu. Um, that, that is kind of where a lot of these, uh, uh, concepts have really been born from is really around, um, outsourcing and utilizing software, you know, software-based companies to help outsource this and kind of, um, help, help, you know, essentially develop a brand that's going to be, you know, uh, utilized throughout the country, utilizing the kitchen space inside of independent restaurants. I mean, that's kind of the way this is going to go, uh, or at least the, the, the biggest growth opportunity, but, you know, kind of what you were saying before on the longevity of this, I mean, it, it's just a slam dunk of a bridge in the meantime, if you're a full service restaurant that obviously has dining room traffic that's been um, impacted by the pandemic. But longer term, you know, my kind of view of this is that these generally carry pretty high flow through of margins because you're you're really, you use the labor inside the restaurants, you use the equipment. So there's really no CapEx to start with these. And so what's going to happen is that... Um, you, you know, I think we, we I think we mentioned that there's basically about a forty to fifty percent flow through on orders. Um, you know, from from a uh, margin perspective on this, which is pretty high. So if you're an operator, as long as this is conducive with your operations, which is why you see generally simple things like wings, uh, which are pretty easy to cook or pretty streamlined to cook, I should say, you're going to see some staying power on the other side of this. Uh, is the way that we're thinking about it. So that way, when dining room while while dining room business bounces back you're able to offer this pretty incremental um, off-premise uh, oriented uh, occasion as well. You, you must be sorry, Ben, to keep asking all these questions. I just think, find this so interesting. So you, as an equity analyst, Andrew, you, your job has become more difficult and more interesting because you now have to dissect the revenues, I'll say, for starters, of a, in transactions of a restaurant brand because it used to be, you'd, you know, you'd look at transaction comp versus ticket. You might look at certain trends. You might look at, but, you know, maybe you're thinking drive-through versus in-store. But now you have to think about drive-through, in-store, first-party pickup, first-party delivery, third-party delivery and some pickup, and virtual brand, your own virtual brand revenues and then virtual brand fulfillment revenues. So you probably like, 
you're, I'm serious. Like I just described probably like in the full service, that's, those are all happening now. And for fast casual and QSR, you know, 75% of what I just said is happening. So do you, is that how you think? I mean, how do you, how do you think about that? And do you like give, I mean, it sounds like I'm, we're kind of getting in a little bit of insight into you tend to value the first party transactions more because you own the customer, they've got the data, their stickiness and, but kind of give us a little bit of an insight about how am I right? Is that, do you have to sort of dissect it in that way? Yeah. You said differently that, you know, when you think about it, we're doing a, a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I mean, it feels like on a daily to weekly basis, just given the amount of innovation on the digital side and on just on the branding side as well as op- as companies now and brands have the opportunity to really reinvent themselves and expand, you know, the umbrella as well. And so, um, it's truly a fascinating time to really be an industry analyst. Nothing will ever replace brand value, though, and, and how important that is because it, it's a it's a sector that obviously there's quite a bit of a brand affinity um, driving. Per, you know, it's a hyper competitive industry, but but branding is just so critical. You know, out there for restaurants, and so for any potential restaurateurs, you know, listening in, I mean, the, the real critical thing is around when, when thinking about a virtual brand. You know, the first and foremost is that h- how does this impact my brand? I mean, if it's an extension of the brand. And it's not going to cannibalize um, existing offerings that that you're making or um, impact, you know, any of the quality perceptions. By all means, that's that's a great, you know, first check or first filter to kind of go through because there's no substitute, um, you know, for the brand itself. Which is, you know, for the folks listening, just know um, that's just a living, breathing thing. The brand and just how do you make sure the brand is performing at its best? And as a result of that, you know, you've seen concepts out there that just have said, "I'm not doing virtual brands." You know, I need to focus on the core and I need to focus on my main brand. And that's reason number one for not doing it. And so certainly it's different strokes for different different strokes for different folks. Uh, but but it's just another opportunity out there for what's going on to potentially uh, appeal to a uh, another consumer group out there uh, for something that's not much of a lift inside of the restaurants. Yeah, and that that's such a good point. And and you know I've as a, as both a, uh, a a consumer and a customer, but also as somebody that that works in this in this sort of field. Um, I've I've just felt for a, a bit now that the Achilles heel of a lot of these third party marketplaces is the experience, the sort of average baseline experience that consumers have with the the service is um, is risky for uh, restaurateurs and restaurant owners that really care about end to end experience and the consistency of that experience. And and maybe this is sort of the other side of the of the coin uh, relating to first party data and owning the customer relationship is um, is the integrity and the consistency of the experience as a as a function of the brand. Um, and uh, on that on that point, one question that um, I'm I'm interested in if you have a perspective on is what are some of the the areas that the companies that you're covering are investing in that relates to that sort of delivery experience or, or this new sort of emerged channel of off-premise dining that, that in the past they hadn't necessarily really invested in. Now it's a part of the business. What, what are some of the, the gaps and things that the companies that you talk to are, are aware of and investing in, in solving for? Yeah. So Ben, on your first question, you know, there's been incremental challenges that have arisen um, during uh, so far for the virtual brands. I mean, the number one is that so many are focused on wings because it's a, it's right. uh, it's, it's a category that obviously has been growing rapidly led, led by Wingstop and the impressive execution that that brand has done. 
but also because of the operational simplicity that if I have a fryer, it's pretty easy to make wings. I mean, great yep. example is that Maggiano is an upscale Italian restaurant where you really wouldn't associate with chicken wings. Well, they already have fryers in the back of the house. You know, they can prepare wings uh, right. for fulfill, you know, to fulfill delivery orders. But the price of wings as a result of all the competition is surged while, you know, companies are exploring opportunities to facilitate labor costs that are quite elevated right now um, and likely to be elevated through the end of September, just given that unemployment insurance um, is uh, is obviously something that um, is helping out consumers that are a bit disadvantaged right now and that can't, are having trouble getting a job. But a lot of them are kind of using the opportunity um, in more of a negative way to kind of say, well, I don't have to work through September. And so that's greatly impacting the industry right now. And in essence, kind of defeats the purpose of virtual brand that it's harder to get um, excess labor right now to, to, to help uh, fuel these. Um, in terms of the innovations, though, that, you know, what we saw, I'd say there was a huge theme exiting uh, calendar 4Q earnings. So when companies were reporting earlier this year around January, February, March, uh, one of the big things was that they were guiding to G&A, your general administration expenses uh-huh. or overhead, essentially, uh, quite elevated in 2021. And, and, and what a lot of them said was that they're making digital investments. And what they're investing in is is very different, but I thought the signal that it sent that these are companies that obviously look for returns on their investments, and so if they're investing more in digital, they expect their investment to be recouped, either right. because they're investing in digital to help on the operational side, be it through labor scheduling, be it through more efficient kitchen display systems, KDSs, uh, to help organize the work stream better inside the kitchen, or it's because they want to enhance or improve the digital ordering interface that they have or some of the digital ordering uh, initiatives they have as well. Or it could just be that they want to use the investments to really help their data analytics a little bit better, which um, you know I think is something that restaurants broadly recognized uh, the importance of before the pandemic, uh, but they still don't have the, fully have a grip on it. You know, This is an industry that's not the most tech, uh, that, that doesn't have a legacy in technology. If anything, it was way behind on technology before the pandemic began. And so these investments are kind of helping the brands uh, um, you know, springboard into the future in, in, in a post-COVID world, but but really importantly, you know, starting to utilize some of the data uh, and starting to implement data analytics to really help drive decision making using the data that uh, that they're starting to collect. Yeah, that's you know, it's interesting on that. So, so let's let's it's similar question, but kind of switching gears a little bit. So when you are on, do, do you participate on a lot of earnings calls? I do. Yes. Yeah, you're one of the ones the operator goes like, and next the question is from Andrew Charles. Andrew, please go ahead with your question. So when you when you're on those earnings calls, you like that? I, I've I've been on my fair share of earnings calls and for Starbucks in the day. And like when when you're on those earnings calls, did you do you what are you trying to poke at in this area, specifically in this area? Like what 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 you know, you're 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 actually you're you're listening for certain things in the transcript, you're you know, what what are the like I mean, you, by the way, we've been focusing a little bit about virtual brands and delivery and owning the customer and the data. Like, but if I just widen the aperture of this question for a second and say, is it loyalty programs? Is it mobile apps? Is it digitization rates like we just talked about? Like in the digital and tech arena, what are you trying to sort of ask them or figure out from the earnings calls? So when I think about, you know, if I, when I think about really good questions on earnings calls um, and what I strive for, but it's not always, it, it's challenging, of course, but what I really strive for is to kind of take the pieces that a company has laid out for you and try to, you know, re- if they gave me, you know, letters A, B, and C, I'm trying to figure out, you know, X, Y, and Z around where are we going with this? And so, um, you know, 
essentially, what are we opening the door to? Like, what what is you know? I know that there's something that you know, there's an issue they're pursuing on the on the on the digital side. You know, what is the ultimate goal here? And so, um, is it around a loyalty program? Is it around something that they're going to use more data for, to drive decision making? You know, kind of what you let off the call by saying, Adam, that you know we look at the world as very much of a what's the lift to sales? What's the return on investment here? And so trying to figure out what impacts our estimates longer term is something that's going to make these stocks tick. And so we want to make sure that we're thinking about this and, and thinking about where the potential upside comes from, because that's really what's going to help drive the stocks. And so, um, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to get past the immediate, this is what we're doing the right now for us to try to figure out what's going on longer term. And so uh, a lot of that does rest around data analytics around what, what is possible here. And so this is so unwritten just because we're in such a new phase with this and companies are going to figure out so much as they go because there's going to be so many unintended benefits as well uh, as a result of data uh, and, and digital ordering. And so you're trying to basically glean that more on what's the end result here. What are you guys looking to? And, and, and you know what we could hope to do as analysts to help add value because the way to think about it for folks that may not be familiar with equity research Think of us as the caddies of institutional investors or the golfers. That essentially they're the ones pulling the trigger. They're the ones you know taking the shop. We're the one that's saying you need you need a sandwich here. You need something with a little more horsepower and aim far left. You know that's that's our job to really help them as much. And so to help add value, we're a lot of times the conduit between um, between management teams and between investors. And, that's a great uh, analogy. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 refraining from any Caddyshack references or, or jokes <laughs> as I'll date myself. But um, uh, Andrew, I mean, as you have you know built up this portfolio of of companies you cover and companies you watch in the industry, I'm curious: um, is it too early to you know what is your what is your pattern recognition sort of tell you in terms of the the optimal kind of mix from a channel perspective or or to what degree should you know restaurants really be invested in digital and and how should that be reflected in sales is it just still too early and there are just too many there's too much of a diverse set of of examples to really know it's um it's hard to say in broad strokes because I'll give you two examples. You know, yeah. you have a, a full service restaurant that they realize that well, I can get a check lift from if a customer orders digitally versus if they order via the phone because it's your best order taker ordering digitally that they're always accurate. Right. They're always going to do upsell, and and chances are there's going to be pictures associated with the upsell rather than someone that you just want to get the order across through on the on the line and just hang up hang up get off the phone as quickly as you can. And so that digital ordering, you know, the ability to replace that off on that that to the ability for the digital order to replace an off-premise phone and order is huge. But at the end of the day, you know, full service restaurants, you know, they make a lot of margins on alcohol sales, which obviously can't be done, well, couldn't be done before off-premise. And, you know, we'll see what kind of happens on that end. But, you know, they want that alcohol sale, they want to differentiate on hospitality. So they're gonna think of themselves as a dine-in business first, but opportunities to enhance that on the digital side. On the other side, though, you know, a company like Wingstop, they have ambitious to digitize every transaction. I mean, that could be something that, you know, right. we're going to be talking about AI ordering. We're going to be talking about digital uh, pickup lockers. I mean, that's all kind of part of the long-term equation uh, for a concept like that. And, you know, when I hear companies like Chipotle, for instance, that say that um, uh, a digital order for pickup is their highest margin, most data-rich transaction, you know, if I think about that for a lot of brands, I mean, that would probably mean if they could snap their fingers and change every brand into yeah. a digital, digital transaction – they probably will digital transaction for carry out. Uh, they probably would. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about how much of that value has been kind of priced into the, the, um, 
the way that uh, uh, these brands are making some of those investment decisions? Like, are they uh, are they able to really um, assign or bake in the true value of, let's say, digital transactions into their models um, as a means of getting to that that point that you're describing, where every customer interaction is digital, or or that is really the the, the north star that they're pursuing. Um, I don't know. It's it, it it's something that we're tracking closely and kind of making a big bet on. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I mean, a lot of companies, you know, then comes our job around you know forecasting what it means for the numbers because a lot of companies will choose to build it, um, and some of them are well equipped to do it because they have the resources and the teams to do it. Right. Others are going to say, I, I can't spend time or resources or money on that. I'm just going to go an expert to do it. And so, I think just knowing, you know. Knowing your brand, you know, for an operator to know what what is my brand, where is my time best spent, what do I leave, you know, for instance, I think the industry has broadly concluded, with a few notable exceptions, but the industry has broadly concluded that delivery is best left to the experts, which is third party, just given the impact, you know, just given that that staffing is a challenge, insurance is a challenge, logistics are a challenge, um, and that's just ignoring the fact that if you know anyone who's ever owned a restaurant, operationally, what Ken Karong generally does, and so that way they say, look, we're just going to leave uh, delivery to the experts. You know, Ben, exactly what you said around, do we build it or do we buy it? I mean, that's what you got to know about your brand going into it because guarantee, you know, om- almost guaranteed, uh, this is going to be more expensive and more time consuming than you originally expected. Well, let's, uh, this has been a great conversation. I know we're getting, you know, we're kind of come up against time here in a minute or two. Um, let me, uh, we usually ask our guests a question that in your case, I'm going to have some fun with. So we usually ask our guests a question, you know, what, what um, what's your favorite you know app or experience or example that of a of a digital experience that you found during the pandemic? It was usually like centered on something that you found that someone that someone was doing creatively that you know you'd never seen somebody do before to kind of get around some of the health um, uh, precautions. And so, but but now that we've had this conversation with you, and since you are an equity analyst, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question. And I'm not looking for financial advice for free, uh, but I am curious to know who of the companies you follow right now do you think is doing, uh, you know, stands out to you as doing a great job in this area um, and that you're impressed with and, um, and, you know, maybe give us some examples. That'd be great. Yeah, so the, the companies that I think get it the most when it comes to digital are, are fourfold. I think, um, and this is really no particular order, but but it's Chipotle, I'll go in alphabetical. It's Chipotle, it's Domino's, it's Starbucks, and it's Wingstop. They've been, all four of those have most successfully identified what the pain point is. And, and, and typically I'd say it's the waiting um, and the long lines they usually encounter. How do we best ensure we're providing convenience to the customer in what they're doing and they all kind of get this, well, we need to own that experience as best as possible as well. And so I think those are the four most unique thinkers, the four that are showing the most foresight into digital, uh, you know, in the industry. And I, I think that, you know, that that is going, I mean, what what was, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago for restaurants to succeed, it was all location, location, location. Today, it's data, data, data. And, and I think that because they have such a leading edge here, you know, a lot of companies talk about, wow, if we can get to that level, imagine the benefits along the way. I think about the headaches along the way that a lot of those companies will 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 see uh, from shifting from the old way of thinking to the new way of thinking. And I think that these guys, you know, these four put themselves in pole position to really just innovate going forward and really just build on that strength going forward. Because 
they're, they're where they need to be. You know, that upside, uh, yeah, some of it has been realized, but I think it only positions them for more good things to come. That's really interesting. It's too bad that the, they, there's no vowels in there. There's no, there's no fang, right? It's like CDSW. It doesn't quite ring like a fang. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. No, but, but it actually, have you guys, and, and this is probably, I'm sure you've thought, I mean, I'm, of course you've thought of this, but I'm curious to know wh- where you're at on it. Like, is there such a thing as like a Cowan digital index or something? Like, do you, do you or maybe it's just behind the scenes, do you guys kind of rank the different companies you follow by sort of their digital acuity or capabilities or, or things like that? It's more art than science. You know, you, you kind of, it's one of those things that you get it that when you talk to folks, you know, are they in over their heads? Do they have, they have a grip on things? I mean, you know, we, we talk to management teams very frequently. It's, it's one of the more fun parts of the job. And one of the parts that out of college really attracted me that you're a 22 year old and you have access to the CFO or even maybe even the CEO. That, that's a pretty powerful thing. And, and really one of the things that was a pretty intriguing part of the start of my career it's kind of just, you know, knowing people and just, you know, relationships around, do, do they seem to get it? Do they seem, are they sharing a lot? You know, usually when companies want to talk about something, they, they know on their end about steering the narrative and that they, they know what they need to disclose to kind of get there. The more they disclose to show you that they're, that they want to talk about this more, the more of an open conversation you can have. And that's kind of the best tell around, okay, you know, are they thinking about this the right way? Or are they just saying something that, you know, this sounds good. And so therefore let's talk about it. Well, that's, that makes sense. Uh, and that's interesting about, yeah, being, being, uh, at the beginning of your career and having access to all these big shots. And that's a, it's actually, it's, I got that career advice when I was younger. It's when my, my uncle actually suggested I go into business law. Cause he said, that's because you really want to rub elbows with the big shots. You know, you find a profession where it's your job to sort of be, around people that are smarter and more experienced than you as part of your job. And so that's, that's cool that you had that same experience. So, well, Andrew, this has been great. Ben, do you have any other final thoughts or questions you want to add in? Uh, no, just thank you, Andrew, for uh, spending the time with us and sharing your, uh, your vast amounts of uh, knowledge and insights with, uh, with our audience. We really appreciate it. It's been great having you on. Guys, it was yeah. my pleasure. It was a lot of fun today. Thank you guys for hosting me. Yeah, no, it was, our, it was a treat. And Andrew, I'm looking forward to joining you and your panel uh, and other panelists uh, coming up on May 27th um, at your, uh, I think it's like a digital dinings uh, seminar or something like that. So it's, I'm, really, I'm really flattered that you asked me to join you. You've got, you've got a great panel, great panelists, and uh, it's always great to be with you. Adam, oh. you set a very high bar. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hosting <laughs> you, though. <laughs> well, listen, um, great to have you, uh, Ben. Thank you. And uh, that's it for today's show. And Ben, do you want to give us a wrap? Yeah, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for another episode with a customer obsessed industry leader. Until then, take care and stay safe. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Adam and Ben are building with their teams, visit brightloom.com and follow them on Twitter at Adam Brotman and at B Straley.